Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty, along with special guests today, Ag PhD Research Lead Glenn Hers stepping in for Brian. Glenn, thanks for joining us today. Anytime. All right, we're going to talk micronutrients on the show today and uh, also take calls and questions. If you have an agronomic question, 844-44-AG-PHD is our phone line. You can also find us on Twitter, AgPHD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. All right, Glenn, I know you do a lot of work with micronutrients, but you also just got done combining. I know there's probably farmers listening that are jealous of that, that, <laughs> that you're done and they still have a ways to go. Uh, but boy, there are a lot of lessons to learn out of 2019. What are some of the takeaways you had uh, getting out of the field this fall? Well, it's uh, I, I say first off, the, I mean, the biggest thing has been trying you know, to get done and get this crop out this fall. Um, we had trouble getting it in this spring. We had trouble controlling weeds because it was wet. I mean, it's been wet this fall again. Um, I just look at all the states that I was in here, you know, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that are struggling to get this thing out and get to the end. And you hope they can get as much of it as they, I mean, some of it they're just not going to, to get. Um, it's, it's real frustrating to see, um, that's probably been, that's pretty gut wrenching, you know, to, to watch that as you're going across, um, from plot to plot, like I've been to see the guys that aren't going to be able to get some of this stuff out. Um, well, speak about that. We were talking, we were telling a story about you, uh, just a week or so ago, uh, that you were up in a plot that, that was tiled. You were on tiled ground. Right yeah. across the road, the neighbor wasn't. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it, it was kind of funny. I actually got stuck in that in that tile field myself. Um, but we really, I mean, and that wasn't more. That was more just that we had just tiled that field the year prior to that, so the dirt hadn't really settled in real good. Um, and I was going parallel to the the tile line, and just all of a sudden, there, you know, I just run singles on my combine, um, and bam, down I went to the axle now you sit there it's like you know it's just the worst feeling in the world to try and figure out how you're going to get out of there and and not wreck equipment and and those sorts of things um but yeah 40 feet away there's water standing in the field um where the tile was Um, once i got back into the rest of the field where i could go across the tile i had zero issue in there so i mean so the power of what that drain tile do is is really something um you know the guys that that haven't done it yet. I mean, that's what I would be encouraging guys to do. The tiled fields are the ones that the guys have been able to get a crop in and get something done with. Um, I realize it gets to be pretty expensive in some of the other ones where you have to do, you know, where you got to do a lift station in that, but just the, the return that you're going to get from that field. Um, once you can get tile in there, I see it time and time again, the guys are like, well, this is a field that we always had trouble with and now we tiled it and it's just that much better. So it's been, that's been big. The other thing, Glenn, and you've been pretty famous uh, around these parts for talking about switching up maturities and going earlier as Mm -hmm. the season progresses. And so many farmers were scared that I'm going to give up so much yield if I switch back in maturity. Uh, Can you talk a little about what your experience has been the last four years or so? And and then what you saw this year? Well, that's, that was part of what, you know, what we decided to do with some of our plots and the comparisons that we did. We actually decided just to to back things up. Can we bring these hybrids down into there? Um, 
I was north of, you know, basically north here of Baltic, about 200 miles. Um, we went down to like an 83-day hybrid in some of those, which is way out of the norm. We normally are looking at low 90s in there, uh, maybe even mid-90s. And those hybrids did very well. We had some where they stood, where they didn't stand quite as as well, but I think it's not like that early maturing hybrid stood any differently than a late maturing hybrid. Um, so we had some very good results that way. The crazy thing is, is I'm, I had in just this one particular pod that, that I'm thinking of, there was an 83 day hybrid in there and we went all the way up to a hundred day hybrid. Um, the 83 day, I believed it either second or third out of like 12 hybrids in there, um, was down at 19 moisture. I just combined it last Friday and that certainly, ran, certainly hit black layer. That yeah. was the other thing. Yeah. I mean, so it's nineteen twenty moisture. I'm combining it's at 190 bushel for something that was planted May 30th, you know, 200 miles north of here, um, where I get to the hundred day hybrid, I maybe had six or seven bushel difference on yield, but I'm five points wetter on moisture. I mean, that's what we wanted to see. Can we bring these things down here and make that work? You know, that, that's, that speaks a little bit of volume there, you know, so, um, we've been able to bring, you know, that, that maturity down and still, I continue to say time and time again, you have to at least get to the end. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that didn't back up maturity right now that are sitting in the mid thirties for moisture. That stuff is going to take a long time, probably February or March until that's going to be to where they can go out and get that. You can't do that in the Northern Plains, I feel, with confidence that you're going to be able to go out there in February, March, and there's going to be something left there. I mean, we could get snow. That thing, I mean, we will get snow. I mean, just how much we're going to get. Are you even going to be able to and get how, in that how many field? more wind events will we have? I well, mean, and, and that's, events from this that's year. yeah, that's some of the stuff that we're seeing is that we've just had so many wind events and so much as far that this crop has been out there so long and it's been so wet that there's that much more disease that's coming into these um, hybrids. I don't think it's particular to any company's hybrids or anything. These things have just been out there so long that disease is coming in. The crop's not ready to come out yet because it's not mature yet. And it's simply not going to stand long enough, I don't think. So you can see why Glenn's got all of his work done and <laughs> all his fields harvested. Even though some of it was wet this year, just, you know, for fear of what's going on out in the field, there's there's a lot of stuff. And I, I don't know if it's as much fear as just common sense that, wow, we got to hustle a train and get some of these things done. There's there's some hybrids that are certainly standing really, really well out there that, that managed to make it through everything. And the timing of the, the weather events didn't seem to hurt them as bad. But there's certainly others that, that aren't so fortunate. Uh, Glenn, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate that. We'll be right back with more Ag PhD after this. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic pesticides from Atticus LLC. Atticus offers a vast portfolio of branded generic fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides for row crops. Atticus puts grassroots experience and common sense logic to work to make product selection easier and on your terms. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step. 
starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better, built stronger, lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. It, one question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic has proven to defeat yield robbers like water hemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit battleweeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir! Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Talked a little about what was going on out in the fields right now. Certainly a lot of crops still out there across much of the continent here. Uh, hopefully uh, weather weather is in, in a good spot for many of you. I know around us we've got a little warm-up coming up here that that uh, may be good in some cases. In, in some of these fields, I think guys would prefer that it was just cold so they could get out there a little bit, but... Uh, one of the other things that, that we're seeing a lot of right now is nutrient applications and uh, some of those being micronutrients. And micronutrients are a topic for today's program. Uh, let's head out to Michigan right now. I've got Ryan on the line with us. He farms there. Uh, Ryan, how's it going? Good. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. Sounds like you're out in the field. Yeah, yep. We're out uh, trying to pick away at some corn we had a, a snowstorm last week and dropped oh, six to eight inches of snow and so it's cold enough this morning we're able to blow some of it through but we're, they're talking a warm-up so it'll probably start sticking in the combine <laughs> uh, yeah yeah it's a challenge this time of year and i know for us we were supposed to have freezing rain today and we got a few little snowflakes and that was about it so i think we lucked out this time through but uh, man, when you've got crop out there and, and all that moisture has got to run through a combine, that, that gets to be pretty challenging. Yeah, thankfully we got a wet bin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the combine out. <laughs> so, okay, talk to us about the other stuff then, because anytime the combine gets held up, that means anything else you wanted to do in the field, whether it's tillage or, or strip tillage or nutrient applications or, or any of that stuff, you, you don't get a chance to do that. Do you have quite a bit that's done already, so you've been able to do a little field work or not yet? Um, Actually, we... Uh all our soybean stubble, we, um, we're going to no-till corn into next year. So we got a cover crop down in it, and we left it. Uh, the sugar beet ground all towards the end, it started to get pretty muddy, and uh, we just left it alone because it started raining, and we're hoping to get one of them Decembers where we can do a little bit then. But uh, we, when we sit down for the, the wet bend, just batching into the dryer, we're running our soil warrior through the corn stubble as we're going. And uh, in some places, we're uh, applying uh, 
some uh, MEV and some potash variable rate, but not very much. Yep. Now, when you talk about that, running through the corn stubble, this is one of the questions. I'm glad you brought that up. It was one of the questions that a lot of farmers ask us about strip till. And they say, man, we see a lot of your footage on your TV show and you're running right through corn stalks. How does that work? And sounds like you're doing the same thing. What, what's been your experience? And have you found some tricks to, to make it uh, even easier for you to get through those corn stalks? Um, We've actually found, we thought we, we have a chopping corn head and we thought we needed to chop as close to the ground as we could. And we found actually it's, oh, we've shut them off on most of them and cutting a little higher unless it's going to sugar beets. But uh, we're leaving a little more of that residue. But we are going back over the same strip, right over those root balls when we put our strips in. And uh, we'll plant in that same zone next year. And we found that we were normally running like an eight-wave directional on our soil warrior. We uh, put the lead coulter kit on it, and then um, we have tried some 13 waves. And we're going more for slicing the root ball, not necessarily dislodging it. And uh, we're, we're getting away pretty good with it. It's pretty tore up, and it snaps them over, breaks the, the crowns up. And in the spring... We have gotten away with uh, planting into fall strips with soybeans, but the sugar beet ground will typically have to go over to freshen them up just to move some of the corn stalks out of the way for the beets. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, yep. so uh, you're doing that fall strip and you're getting by not having to rework the field or anything else. What is your What's your fertility program? You mentioned uh, some of the stuff is going to have fertilizer, not everything necessarily. Yep. Yeah. Uh, any, uh, we're trying to do it on a field to field basis and, uh, um, we're just switching over from, uh, we've got uh, good grid samples on all 1400 acres, but now we're switched, switching over and doing zone, uh, sampling. And we just, uh, this was our first year we started working with ag spectrum and, uh, put in furrow, uh, fertilizer on our planter. So we're, uh, we're using their, um, kickoff is a micro pack uh that we're putting in our furrow to get more of the 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 right placement and uh that gives us the opportunity in a spring like we had this year and we didn't have to go out and apply anything down in the spring and we just went right out with our planter and just planted into fall strips and we'll still be able to get the nutrients where we needed it interesting yeah i I think there's so many different ways that, that farmers are doing things. You, you talked to us a little bit about uh, using different coulters and, and uh, kind of a different approach to, to building those strips. Uh, and I, I was thinking about, I've just ever since you mentioned that, you're slicing right through these root balls, I was just thinking, wow, we go in between the rows, so we're leaving those root balls alone. And I know the challenges and, and also the good things about what we're doing uh, why do you like going right over that same row? Why do you like keeping that same uh, uh, band? Um. Well, we figured that's where anything left over is going to be that we've applied or didn't use. And um, with our controlled traffic, we we had never tried jumping over in between the rows, but it's been uh, a lot easier on our um, the keeping track of our swath management from jumping over fields to fields and for uh, moving stuff around. But uh, we, we um, with our sugar beets, it's nice to fill our lifter wheel ruts back in. So we're working with more of a level playing ground. 
and uh, we just figure those nutrients, that's where they're going to be at, and we've been using our cover crops in between that zone. We're hoping that in you know, 10, 15 years, if we were to ever decide to move that 15 inches and relocate our planting zone, we're hoping that it'd be like we picked up uh, 1,500 acres of new CRP ground. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've seen a lot of guys utilizing the cover crop in between the strips, and it, it looks fantastic in terms of erosion control and, and uh, just keeping living things out in the field as much of the year as you possibly can. I, I totally understand that that uh, that would have a, an allure to it. Uh, when I look at ours, we, we did a lot of soil sampling in the row and then in between the rows just to see, you know, because we thought the same thing. We yep. thought, all right, we're going to leave a bunch. But what we found out was we weren't quite as generous as we thought we were. We weren't really right. leaving yep. much behind. And so it's like, well, I guess we aren't really leaving much behind. And our other strategy was on some of these nutrients like zinc that just doesn't move much in soil. And yep. And we were we were talking about that of corn and soybeans is our main rotation here. Uh, they they each need a little different mix of nutrients. And I know we had talked with another farmer who said, "Well, that's my corn band over there, and my bean band is over here." And it, it was interesting. He was trying to build up things that he thought would help corn more and the corn band and beans and the bean band. We we've just gone. Yep random throughout our field and our thought is if we screw up on anything and we put too much fertilizer out there well let's yep. let's try and spread it around a little bit but yeah i don't right. know a lot of yep. a lot of different theories yep yeah and that's what uh like next spring with us not being able to get into our beet field yet if we can't get our strips made this fall and close those lifter wheel ruts in we figure next spring we'll shift over 15 inches and plant on top of the ridges. Yep. So, yep. yep. Yeah. It, was, it is nice to have the options. And that's what we, uh, we had been over applying fertilizer for a long time. And so that's what we figured that in the next uh, three or four years, we're going to address that a little more, whether flirt with it and start jumping back and forth and seeing what we can see from the cover crops and, and just jumping now that we're not a, applying nearly as much fertilizer as what we typically always used to. Yeah, it's going to be neat. It's going to be neat to see what you're doing. Are you learning anything with the combine? I guess uh, before I let you run, anything exciting? Um, we're, There is some really good corn out there, and then there's some four spots that got flooded out. But um, it's the first time I've ever had to combine in serious amounts of snow, so... We're learning about that some. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you don't have to learn that lesson much more. I hope the snow holds no. up till you get all done. Hey, Ryan, thank you so much. Really appreciate you sharing about your operation. Good luck and stay safe this harvest. Yes, thank you, and you too. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, and our discussion today is going to be around micronutrients. We'll talk a little more about that right after this. Stay tuned. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. Our exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. 
For generations, your family has given their all to create a farming legacy. The fields now in your care are a heavy responsibility to sustain. You can't control when or how rain falls, but you can ensure your fields remain productive by taking water drainage into your own hands with the SoilMax Gold Digger Tile Plow. SoilMax Tile Plows bring a quick return in dollars, but no ROI is greater than a family's farming future. Let SoilMax ensure your greatest investment continues. Visit SoilMax.com to learn more. Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and buy two, save three are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. Every flood begins with a raindrop. Every drought was once a sunny day. Every plague of insects grew from a couple of eggs, and every hurricane from a breeze. Our biggest problems start small, but what if the biggest solutions do too? At Indigo, we're using the natural microbes found on plants that survive droughts to help other plants survive them too. Visit indigoag.com grow to learn more. Indigo, from questions we grow. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're going to talk about micronutrients on our show, but we'll tackle any agronomic question you may have at 844-44-AG-PHD if you'd like to talk about it. If you just like to send us an email, that's fine. Radio at agphd.com. Or you can find us on Twitter, agphd media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Let's head out to Southern California right now. We've got Dylan Rogers with us with AgriLiquid. Dylan, how are you today? Good, Darren. How about yourself? Well, we're doing quite well. Doing quite well. Actually, my alma mater, South Dakota State University, just was they're out in Southern California, I believe, right now. Just played USC last night in basketball. It didn't fare well, but uh, but okay. we tried. We gave it a shot. Absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, I think I bet ma- they were. I bet they were excited to uh, to get a little warmer weather. <laughs> I think so too. I think that might have been a downfall for us that the weather was too yeah, nice. True. True. 
So, okay, well, you get you get a lot of hot, dry weather there. And when we think about micronutrients for us, uh, where we're at in the Midwest, we, we see the micronutrients really stand out when we get into weather extremes like that, just allowing the plants to, to be a little healthier and, and do some of those functions that micros help with. What do you see in all the crops that, that you're working with? You know, micronutrients are a big, big part of, of this Western agriculture permanent crop. Um, and I, I, I can honestly say that there's not one micronutrient that's more important than the, than the other. I think if, you know, if you're short on one, that's going to be your limiting factor. So they're all, they all have their importance and they're all just as important as the other. Um, we, we tend to, to use a lot of zinc here in the almond crop, a lot of boron. You made a comment earlier, Darren, that zinc's not real mobile in the soil. And, uh, we, we also have some, some problems with, you know, some of these rootstock varieties of some of these almonds aren't very good at picking up zinc out of the soil either. So a lot of our micronutrients tend to be foliarly applied. And, uh, uh, you know, we talk about at bloom time, that's that's probably the heaviest micronutrient applications going out. But I'd say it's it's just as important all season long. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And, I, you know, that's it's interesting because I, I talk to a lot of farmers that I don't think fully understand, you know, what are you getting for uptake? And I see too many guys that are still just looking at soil samples saying, well, I've got this many pounds out there or I applied some pounds with one form or another without really checking to see if it got into the crop. I, I would assume that, that you're doing a lot of sampling in uh, like vegetable crops and so forth with leaf samples, but what do you do in almonds? How do you how do you keep an eye on where nutrients are out there? Yeah, absolutely heavily reliant throughout the season on on tissue samples. So same as your vegetable crops and and stuff like that. We're we're relying really heavily on on tissue samples and again pairing it with that soil sample. That that soil sample is still important. Um, I think maybe a, a lot of the time something that gets overlooked is is your soil pH. You, you could have you know adequate amounts of a lot of these micronutrients in your soil, but when that pH starts pushing you know above seven, getting closer to eight, that zinc, that iron, that stuff may be there, but the plant's not getting it because it's, it's being tied up in the soil. So we run into issues with you know iron chlorosis and, and calcareous soils, soils with a lot of free lime, um, and and we go we address those with foliar applications because you, you can put all the iron you want on in the soil that you're really calcareous and a lot of free lime it's it's just getting tied up so foliarly applying those those micronutrients are how we're tackling those problems all right i got a couple of things there that i want to ask you about because i think that was a great great comment that you made um so i want to talk to you a little bit about making foliar products work and then i also want to talk to you about this free lime because brian and i get to look at a lot of soil samples from all over the world and we do see some samples come in with a lot of free lime. That gets to be a challenge, and it is a spot where we do see a little bit better activity with foliar applications versus trying to overcome some of these huge problems in the soil. Do you, do you have right. kind of a, a limit that you look at there, or what are some things farmers should look at on a soil test to tell them, you know what, uh, maybe soil fertility isn't the only way I want to go? Right, and I'd, I'd say, you know, Definitely the pH is part of that. Um, I I can't tell you how far how high of a free lime, you know, how where that levels at. Where you know you need. 
I, th- I think in combination of both addressing your school and using those foliar opportunities, um, I've, I've had situations where guys have a lot of free lime and they'll run, you know, I've, I've had a situation in a, in a processed tomato crop where we had uh, a lot of free lime in the soil and we actually ran some sulfuric acid in the irrigation water and got the pH down real low for, you know, 30 minutes down to you know a two three ph and and what that did was you know it converts that free lime into a into gypsum basically and helps alleviate some of those problems so there's multiple different opportunities and ways to go about it um i'd say the foliar option for addressing some of these issues is is the most common because in these permanent crops these guys are making trips with spray rigs through these fields you know multiple multiple times during the season whether that be uh, an insecticide spray, a fungicide spray. I'd, I'd say that every time you see a tank going through an almond or a grape vineyard, um, there's a micronutrient in the tank with whatever's going on. You know, there's um, there's a lot of guys that we talk to that talk about foliar feeding, and I think the ones that are having the most success are really paying attention to their spray solution pH. Just over and over again, I've heard guys say, man, we have to be down in that 5 or 5.5 spray solution pH to get great nutrient uptake by our plants. What do you find in your permanent crops? Are guys watching that spray solution pH? Are there products that AgriLiquid has that really focus on what the pH is going to be? I mean, is that part of the secret sauce to make things work great? Absolutely. Guys are definitely paying attention to uh, to buffering uh, their spray solutions. And, and it's it's really important for some of these insecticides and fungicides to work the way that they're supposed to as well. Um, and definitely important because we get some well water that guys are mixing with out here that's that's real high bicarbonate water, very high pH salty water. So paying attention to to tank mix pH is very important. Um, as far as agroliquid products go, most most of our products are, you know, in that near neutral neutral area. So going in with those tank mixes that get down to that five, five and a half range, we tend to do just fine. Yeah. Is that, is that what you're shooting for that five or five and a half somewhere in that range? Yeah. Yep. Right in there somewhere. Yeah. I, I know we've, we've worked with a lot of the products that you probably have uh, experience with too, between micro 500, trying to get micros out there, Fertorain kind of taking a, a total approach. Uh, what, what have been some that you found the best to, to push micros in? Do you like the individual products? Do you like the blended products? Do you see much difference uh, when you need, you know, you know, you need zinc. Does it help to put some of the other micros with it? Absolutely. Micro 500 has been a phenomenal product for us out here on the West Coast. And, and a lot of my guys have taken a liking to it, whether that be to throw, you know, a quart in a spray tank or, or put a quart or two on uh, through the soil. Um, they see really good uptake. And that product is heaviest in zinc, but I think you get definitely a benefit from having those four other micros in there, kind of getting that synergistic effect to help all of those micros work together. There are situations where you know, a guy, a guy may need a little more boron as well. So we'll take, you know, micro 500, spike it with a little more boron, just kind of adjust to, to what is needed. You know, I know that, that, uh, there are some other micronutrients out there and, and, uh, I know specifically you've got a product micro 1000 cause we've done some work with that product on our own farm too, with, with some micros that I don't hear people talking about very often. And it's like, Absolutely. wait a second, what, where's the request coming for those micros and, and what's, what's the difference with, or maybe talk about what's in there. 
Yeah, so so Micro 1000 is is an, a newer product to us. In fact, I think you've probably got more experience with it than I do. Um, we're, we're adding uh, molybdenum, copper, uh, zinc, no, sorry, moly, copper, zinc, nickel, um, our calcium, magnesium, all in this one um, mixture, Micro 1000. I have not had any experience with it yet. However, yeah, the molly the and the nickel is, are interesting. Correct. There is more and more talk in, in these West Coast crops of needing some of those particular uh, micronutrients, the ones that are needed in little smaller quantities. So I'm, I'm very, very excited to get going with that product this year and uh, see what it's going to do for us. Yeah, the micro discussion just got even a little broader. Dylan Rogers with AgriLiquid, thanks for joining us today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If your fertilizers aren't formulated to maximize your efficiency, if you can't mix all the PK and micros your crop needs into one prescription application, if you have to add products to improve and invigorate your soil biology, then you need to expect more from your fertilizer. With AgroLiquid's advanced technology, you can expect more, a lot more. Make the most of your crop nutrition. With AgroLiquid, to find a crop nutrition expert near you, visit agroliquid.com. If you like most farmers, you start thinking about next year's herbicide program right now. And the first step to a clean start next spring is applying Authority MTZ-DF herbicide this fall. Nothing burns down tough winter annuals, including common chickweed, henbit, and mare's tail, like a tank mix containing Authority MTZ-DF herbicide. Talk to your FMC Star retailer about Authority MTZ-DF herbicide, or visit fmcauthority.com. Always read and follow label directions. Authority is not registered for sale or use in California. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough to control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions. Using NSERV nitrogen stabilizer with fall fertilizer applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. Field trials in Iowa show NSERV delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and NSERV is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com. 
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Thanks for joining us. If you would like to join our discussion, you can give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD. We're talking micronutrients, but of course we'll talk about any agronomic topic you'd like to discuss. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphd Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Uh, let's head down to our, our neighbor to the south here at the University of Nebraska. We've got Charles Wortman with us right now. Uh, Charles, how are you doing today? Very well, thank you. We're talking about micronutrients today, and and it's I know it's a broad topic here, but uh, there's a lot of lot of individual micros that we get questions on from time to time, and then just in general, farmers talking about how important are micronutrients. So where do you start when you get that question? Well, first of all, we have to say that some are essential. You can't get a crop without them. But the big question is, can you get a profitable return to application? Um, and we've been looking at this, you know, off and on over the years. And frankly, our recommendations have not changed much in the last 20 years. One big research project involved 26 on-farm strip trials, properly replicated, etc. In those 26 trials, we had a yield increase in three of them only. This was a foliar application. And we found that soil test, foliar testing, and yield level did not help in predicting response. You know, that's an that interesting that's an interesting comment because we've seen the same thing between soil tests and plant tissue tests that sometimes they're wildly different, and, and micronutrients are certainly uh, some components on there that, that are quite different. Why do we see that, where, where some nutrients that soil tests show us we've got lots of in the soil that, that we may be short up in the plant tissue? Um, well, also we did not see any relationship between soil test results and uh, plant tissue concentrations. Except for manganese, uh, there, if the availability in the soil increased, it also increased in the plant. But And that was related to soil pH. Interesting. So the other nutrients, including zinc, boron, iron, um, manganese, well, manganese, I said already, uh, there was not a relationship. Uh, so... Um, we often expect with higher yields that we're more likely to get a, to get a response. And in those 26 trials, the yields went up to 275 bushel. The lowest was about 170, 180, I guess. Uh, so within that range, yield did not make any effect, no difference on on response. Hey, Charles, you had mentioned. We- you had mentioned before yeah, the ahead. soil pH. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. You you're, uh, you had mentioned before soil pH made a big difference on the manganese, and I'm, I, I would say I've noticed that too on our farm where we've got low pH. If we're down in the low sixes or even upper fives, uh, manganese is really showing up on our soil test versus uh, if we get up at seven or above. Uh, do you find different soil tests being more accurate for micronutrients like the Malik test versus DTPA tests or, or something like that? And and do you see these correlations with pH with, with most of the micros? Um, our calibrations 
have been done with uh, DTPA. Okay. Um, and we don't see much relationship between Melic 3 and DTPA uh, for some nutrients. For zinc, it's pretty good. For some other nutrients, it's very weak, where one explains only 50 or 60% of the variation in the other. Um, so I'm not very comfortable in doing a translation. I do it, but I'm going to have to. But <laughs> I'm not very comfortable in doing a translation from one to another. Yep. Uh, simply because the correlation just isn't good enough, except for zinc. Again, with zinc, I have some confidence. And the malic three extracts considerably more than uh, with our other method. Yeah, yeah, it so sure we does. Would like to see, yeah, we would like to see um, that um, the calibration research be done with malic three. Um, but um, but we need the right conditions for it. We need conditions where we get a response. If we don't get responses, then it it doesn't tell us very much. Yep, yep, that's for um, sure. One thing that was fairly consistent was with iron application to corn. If if the soil was calcareous, if there were symptoms, and if the soil test iron was a bit low, relatively low, not necessarily below the critical level, uh, then we're likely to get a yield response, you know, like a six-bushel increase. Okay. Um, but if we didn't have those conditions, if the symptoms weren't there, or if the soil test wasn't that low, et cetera, with foliar application, we did not get a response. Now, generally, when we recommend application, we just recommend soil application. And these results support that, that they're not likely to gain much up with our Nebraska soils um, with the foliar application. Yeah, the foliar has been a, it's been a challenge. There's no question about that. And uh, yeah, we've been talking about uh, some of the different micros and some of the different crops. We just had uh, uh, a gentleman from Southern California and talking about some of their permanent crops and what they're doing. And yeah, it's, a, it's all different uh, in corn and soybeans. And it, as you travel around with uh, irrigated ground, I would assume you, you have some different options there of, of uh, nutrient applications and uh, and so forth versus some of the dryland guys too. It's yeah, it's it's an interesting topic to be sure. Been talking with Charles Wortman here with the University of Nebraska. Charles, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. All right, thank you. Bye. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, when you look um, when you look at the micros too, when we when you look at single micro applications versus the blends, and I, I sure get why Dylan Rogers was talking about that using a blend and. Um, uh, even Ryan that was on the farms in Michigan that was on earlier was talking about using a blended micronutrient product. Uh, it, it varies so much. We've done one acre soil grids on much of our farm ground. And just looking from one acre to the next acre, we see quite a bit of variability in, in what micros are showing up on our soil testing. Uh, we haven't done plant tissue testing as intensely on our farm as we have on the soil testing. So I can't tell you if that that correlates that much, but I will say where we have pulled soil tests and plant tissue tests, they don't always correlate in terms of what's showing up. And some of that may be where those micros have moved to in the plant. Maybe they aren't in the leaves that we're pulling or something like that uh, compared to where we think, wow, we should have high levels of that micro here. Maybe they're moving right to the seed or maybe they're moving you know, right to the tassel or a different part of the plant. 
Uh, but, but anyway, that's, that one's still been a little bit puzzling sometimes, but, but overall we do see a fairly decent correlation in terms of, uh, when, when we're short and we know we're short or we're, we're historically short, we, we do see that show up in our plant tissue tests and we do see with foliar applications, we can move those numbers, uh, to Charles, uh, Wartman's point there. We don't always see that respond with a, a yield increase, but more times than not, we have, uh, but it's something that you really have to watch that you're getting the right micro on, that that's the one that's short, or that something else bigger isn't short. For example, if we're a little bit short in nitrogen, and I know uh, there's one of our plots that we had this year where we ran out of N. We just had lots and lots of rain and uh, didn't get the mineralization that we thought we'd be getting out of the soil too, and we ran short of N. Well, all of a sudden you can throw some of our micronutrient trials out because we ran short to one of the big, uh, the big primary nutrients, N, P, or K. So you do have to have those pieces right as well. But like Charles Wortman was saying there, these are micronutrients are essential, and you just aren't going to get good crop growth if you don't have at least some level of the essential micros. And that's one of the reasons that we're talking about it today. I also would, would uh, give one example. I, I'm working with a, a friend of mine. He, he picked up some new ground, and it, it was it was run down. Uh, there weren't many nutrients out there. And we did go after some of the big ones first, working on pH and working on the primary and secondary nutrients. And uh, that was the first run. Now we're starting to work on the micros. So we didn't get as aggressive on the micros up front just from a budget standpoint. Uh, but it's certainly something that, that you don't want to forget about on your farm. We'll talk a little more about that and get to the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgriLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid can help you increase yields and crop quality. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. When looking for someone to help with your risk management, a key component to look for is patience. Patience to bring you along in the process at your own speed. Patience to learn about your operation and patience to not only discuss what strategies may be effective for your plan, but why they would be effective. That's the strength of Grain PhD. I'm Darren Hefty. When you're ready to become more engaged in your risk management, Grain PhD can assist you with that process. Visit grainphd.com to learn more. How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. The 
Guardian Air Twin Spray Nozzle from Hypro produces a twin spray pattern with air-inducted droplets for superior coverage, even in dense canopies. Be effective and efficient with your spray application this season with the Guardian Air Twin. Hypro, helping you spray better. The last thing you want after harvesting your grain is to spoil it before it goes to market. The Grain Temp Guard from Farm Shop MFG is a low-cost bin monitoring solution that tracks temperature and humidity and alerts you when conditions exceed safe thresholds. Visit farmshopmfg.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio. We are in the Ag PhD Mailbag right now, taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the rest of the show. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Got an email from Aaron in northern Minnesota. Uh, He said a lot of guys are considering leaving corn in the field until March due to high moisture and low test weight. Should we be concerned about certain hybrids with stock strength? How do you how do you determine that out in your fields? Hey, Aaron, that's that's a really good question. Of course, we need to be concerned about stock strength, especially northern Minnesota. You guys can get a lot of snow sometimes up there. Uh, and I would certainly be surprised if you didn't get quite a bit of snow between now and March. So let's talk about that. When we've got hybrids that that we know, all right, I've got five different hybrids on my farm. Do I leave all five of them out there until March or do I take some of that in now? Well, what I would do, the first first call I would make would be to uh, whoever my seed suppliers were and just say, all right, Talk to me about your hybrid here that we've got, and would you be willing to take a look at at the field with me? And if if your supplier says, oh boy, you've got hybrid X out there, that one doesn't hold up very well. You for sure need to get that out of the field. There's zero question in my mind I would get that one out as soon as I possibly could. Uh, some hybrids certainly don't have really strong stocks, don't have great uh, late season health and intactness, those kinds of things. I would be really concerned about that if my seed dealer says, yes, do not keep that one out in the field. Now, let's assume that your five hybrids, the seed dealers are like, oh yeah, those are my best hybrids. They've got great stocks on them. They They should be out there, no problem. First of all, I would say this. Corn is not designed to stand out there till March. So I would question every one of those guys. If they said, really, are you sure? Uh, but then I'd just go out in my fields and I'd walk around. And if you've got some spots where you're worried about how the plants look and they just look like, boy, they don't look real good over in this area of the field, that would be a good place to start. Then I'd go out and do a little pinch test on the stalks and see, all right, uh, are they soft or are they hard and, and firm and solid? And that'll tell you quite a bit. And if you find out, all right, everything's firm, the next thing I would do is I would just push on the stalks just a little bit and see if they snap real easy. And if they don't snap 
and they are really firm stocks, then that's your hybrid or your field that you want to leave out there longer. But if you have any issue at all and you say, man, one out of 10 plants just snapped right off and I pushed down a little bit, uh, I would be pretty nervous about that. And if you did a pinch test and found any hybrids that you could just squeeze you know, three out of 10 or something like that, or maybe even one or two out of 10, depending on what your tolerance is for loss, I would be nervous and I would get those things out right away. So yeah, I would listen to your seed dealer a little bit, but then I'd also go out and ground truth it and see what you find out in the field. Thanks for the question, Aaron. We really appreciate that. All right, let's get to the next one here. I've got one from Keith, and he said, Hey, I was listening to your show that you did on soybean pre-emerge herbicides yesterday. It brought up a couple of questions for me. I'm in a no-till situation and planning to use pendimethalin or Prowl. I see there are two different forms that I could buy. I could buy Prowl H2O or I could buy Prowl 3.3 EC. Does it matter which one I use? Well, first of all, same active ingredient. And if you're using the labeled use rates, you get the same amount of product out. So no, if you really had those two choices, you could use either one. Uh, the mixability may be a little bit different. Uh, of course, you've got an EC formulation on the one. That's an emulsifiable concentrate. Uh, and on the other, the Prowl H2O, uh, we've we've been using that one now for a number of years on our farm. Uh, so I, the Prowl H2O is certainly the newer formulation of the two. There's lots of generics and other things out there, but uh, we've liked the Prowl H2O, not quite as much uh, staining and those kind of things on your equipment and, and uh, hopefully not clothing, but uh, anything it comes in contact with. So I like the Prowl H2O. It seems to work really well, uh, and it's kind of designed to uh, to work better out in your field for you too, just the way they formulated that molecule. Uh, but in terms of weed control, I don't think you're going to see a huge amount of difference. So either way is fine. Uh, Keith's other question, he said, also, I've got giant and common ragweed on one farm that came on late this year. Should I consider authority first or would I be better off to go a straight authority or valor and use the first rate in my post-emerge application? Well, okay, so this is this is a good question. Uh, giant and common ragweed, first rate historically has been a pretty good product to spray post-emerge. Uh, it's an ALS chemistry, and we do see a little bit of ALS resistance out there. If you, I'm assuming you don't have that, so the first rate is going to be really effective for you, Keith. The The big question is, do I use it pre-emerge or do I use it post? Well, I look at it this way. If I'm using our three pre-strategy and I'm using the prowl that you're talking about and I'm using authority, you know, one of the forms of authority or valor, uh, that's that's a great start. I also like to put metribuzin in there pre-emerge too. So that would be our third mode of action. If you're doing those three pre's, you're going to do okay on, on ragweed suppression, and then you'd have your first rate that you could use post. But if you say, you know what, I could plant enlist soybeans, or I could plant extend soybeans, or even Liberty Link soybeans, and now I've got uh, you know one or possibly two other modes of action I can use post-emerge to come after this thing, uh, this giant ragweed or common ragweed problem, I might be considering using that authority first as part of my pre-program. So using authority first, Prowl, and Metribuzin would be a pretty powerful pre-emerge program. That's that's what I would do, Keith. And then I'd come back post-emerge with uh, Liberty, Enlist, 
or extend. And if you are planning the Enlist E3 soybeans, you could use a combination of Enlist 1 and Liberty, and that would be the best. So that, that would be my choice if I was going to do it if I had a big ragweed issue. Hey, thanks, Keith. Really appreciate that. Hopefully you can wipe it out this year and uh, not really have to fight much ragweed going forward. All right. Uh, I got a question from Jake in Illinois. Uh, you're talking about micronutrients on today's show. How do you apply micros on your farm? Hey, good question, Jake. If I didn't, if I didn't talk about this during the show today, I, I may have missed some of this. Uh, we'll do some with our planter often. Uh, we can, uh, yep, yep. We can utilize something uh, uh, like a, an infer or a two by two placement. Uh, we'll also do some with our strip tail too, and we'll even apply some individual micros in a variable rate program. Uh, all right, I want to jump back to the phone lines here. We've got Todd in Nebraska with us. Todd, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you today? Pretty good, pretty good. All right, I understand you got some weeds to deal with out on your farm. What do you no, got? N- not weeds. My the leaves on my corn plants this year are not dropping. Oh, it's a strange question. I understand. Oh, leaves. Sure. Okay, it's, okay, gotcha. It's you can't even see the head because every leaf on the corn in every variety I have is still holding on. Moisture of the corn is about sixteen and a half. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, when you said that, I was thinking, usually wow, well, how, the, how, how, by this time in the year, you know, all you got left is the stock and the leaves are all laying on the ground. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. I can't say that I've run into that a whole lot. I mean, obviously, if you're harvesting at 25%, it's a way different situation. But if you've got dry corn, that's, that's quite interesting. Did you notice that your plant health was really good this year? The plant health was very good, yes. Okay. We got lucky. We had too much rain like everyone else, but. It was good. Good. And then the other question I've had is when did you get your frost or when did you get a killing frost? Were were the plants still green at that time or were they already starting to senesce a little bit? They were starting to dry down. Huh. The plants were mature. Yeah. Yeah, that is is interesting. So are you having issues at all with harvest with that? We just can't see. (laughs) Yeah. It makes it a long day driving without seeing your snoot. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. That's that's nuts. Yeah, I haven't haven't seen now. Have you had this issue before with certain hybrids, or this is the first year with the whole thing? No, this first year. That's why I called because it was just an anomaly, and it's kind of a strange question. But I thought maybe you'd have an idea. No, I don't. But but uh, but that is interesting. And the plant health. Did you use fungicides or anything different, or it just had a good year? I did not use fungicide this year. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I I don't have a good answer for you, Todd. I do appreciate the call, and I'll uh, I'll do some uh, questioning around and see if we can can learn anything. I, I guess I'll let uh, Janelle, our call screener, grab your number, and we'll we'll give you a call back and talk a little bit more about this. If we can can find some answers for you, or at least some clues as to what's going on. Thanks for the call. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.